uh, several years ago, in fact, July 20th, 2008, the TV show Extreme Makeover Home Edition, remember that old show? Aired one of its most moving stories as far as I'm concerned. A soldier by the name of Michael Lucas had just begun to lay the foundation for his new home in Rice, Virginia, when he was called to service in Iraq, leaving behind his wife, Jean, and their two sons, Michael, who was 12, and Joseph, who was 7. So Ty and his team went in to build his home while he was gone and serving our country. And as you know, they have this big bus that they pull in front of the house and have the family standing behind the bus. And then they all holler, move that bus. And the bus moved and pulled out. There was surprise waiting for his family and for everybody watching. Their father and husband, Michael, came running out the door. Oh, man. Talk about moving. Uh, I'm not much of an emotional kind of guy, but uh, that really, really got to me. I love reunions. I love seeing people I haven't seen for quite a while. Um, uh, I like that kind of reunion, but I got to I tell you that when I was young, I didn't like reunions. My mom and dad would go to the Chapin reunion, which was on my mom's side, and there would be about 200 people in that little town, city park. And uh, I was so bored out of my mind, and everybody seemed to be having a good time. I couldn't understand why mom and dad enjoyed seeing people like that. And uh, But as I've gotten older, I've kind of get the idea, you get, the, as you get older, you young people, you'll realize it's, it's fun to see people you haven't seen for a while. In fact, uh, at my 50th high school class reunion not too long ago, uh, I saw people I hadn't seen in 50 years, and I couldn't get over how old they all looked. <laughs> well, this morning I want to talk about a reunion. I want to talk about a reunion to beat all reunions. I'm talking about that heavenly reunion. Just thinking about going to heaven just gets me all excited. I look about, there are some of you out there probably my age, and uh, you're thinking about that as well. And I want to tell you, with all the stuff that's going on in our world today, <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, beam me up. Let's go. Uh, even so, come Lord Jesus, as John said. So this morning, I'd like to answer three questions about our heavenly reunion. First question is, what will make our heavenly reunion so special? Well, first of all, it'll be special because of who we're going to see. The first person we're going to see will be Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3 to his disciples, you know, before he left this earth, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, Jesus doesn't lie, does he? He said he was going away. He was going to come back. He was going to get us. So that's going to happen. And then in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus mentions this again to his father when he's praying. And uh, he's actually praying 
in chapter 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Now just pause for a minute. Doesn't it just blow your mind that the creator God who created everything wants you where he is? He wants you right beside him. I think that's phenomenal. But it gets better than that. When he's praying, he says, that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. You know why Jesus went to the cross? Yeah, to save our souls, but there was a joy that was set before him. And that joy comes on the day when he reveals himself in all his glory and splendor. Folks, there is, there's something about the beauty of the glory of Jesus that we can't begin to imagine. It's so special that he's looking forward to showing his beauty to all of you and to me. That they may behold my glory. What a wonderful day. Just think that rapture could happen today. That meeting could be this, this day while we're preaching the sound of the trumpet and up we go and there's Jesus. Whew. That'll bless you. Your blessers broke. Man, that should get us excited. We're going to see Jesus. We're also going to see our loved ones who have gone on before. The Apostle Paul talks about this meeting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's those who have died and gone on before us who were believers, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, you folks understand this biblical, these biblical truths. When someone dies who knows Jesus as their Savior, they leave the house that they were living in. That's their body. The soul and spirit, that non-material part that makes them them, goes immediately, is ushered by the angels into the presence of the Lord. That body we lay aside in the grave. At the time of the rapture, Jesus is going to bring those souls and spirits that have been with him all this time, he's going to bring them with him. Now let's read on. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or go up before those who are asleep. Now he's talking about the dead bodies, those that are going to go up. There's some that are coming down, and there's some that are going to go up. So actually, they're in two places at once. The soul and spirits with Jesus, but their bodies in the ground. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the dead bodies are going to be resurrected and recreated and caught up uh, to, to be, have their souls and spirits put back in them. And uh, then they're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, the dead are going to rise first. And I know I've, you've heard the reason for that, and that is because they got six feet further to go. But there's a, more, a better reason. You know, it says... Wherefore, comfort one another. It wouldn't be too comforting. I know that all happens in a moment, but it wouldn't be too comforting to go up with a bunch of skeletons. 
So God's going to fix them up before he takes them up. It's all going to happen so quick. So that when we meet the Lord, we're going to see them and be with them. Notice those two words, with them, in the air, and we will see them with their body and spirit and soul together and be recreated bodies. So grandpa, grandma, mom and dad, a spouse, perhaps some of you have lost children. I can't begin to imagine what that's like. Nancy and I, fortunately, we have three kids, all grown. I can't imagine what would be like to lose a child. Some of you have gone through that. But you're going to be with them if they knew the Lord as their Savior. So it's going to be special because of who we're going to see. But it's going to be also special because of what won't be there. There will be no more sin, no more temptation, no more child abuse, no more lies on the television. All this stuff that's going on, no more crime. In fact, no more sickness, pain, or death. Revelation 21 forces, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know what you've got dealing with physically, but all that stuff's going to be behind you. It'll be no more. It won't be there. There'll be no more temptation. You battle sin. You, you battle temptation in your life. All of us do down here. But that'll be over. The devil won't be there. It'll be special because of what won't be there. It'll be special because of what will be new. And this gets exciting. We're going to have a new home. Now, when Nancy and I moved to our present home, we couldn't believe that God would provide a place like we have. Uh, we have 10 acres. And I got a place where I, I can shoot my guns. I, I know pastors, they all have to golf. No, I shoot guns. I like to hunt. I grew up in Michigan. That was a way of life. And I got a little bit of woods, and maybe once in two or three years I might see a deer, you know. But God provided that. But you know what? In heaven, that is nothing. That belongs to God. In heaven, folks, we're going to have a new home. Don't get too attached to the home you have down here or the car or anything else because when we go in the rapture, some old cigar-smoking, cussing person is going to live in your home and drive your car and probably wreck it. So don't get too attached. Look at Revelation 21, beginning in verse 10. He describes our, that heavenly city coming down out of Jerusalem. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper, like clear as crystal. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates, not just one. And 12 angels at the gates, not St. Peter, the angels are there. And names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates to the east, three gates to the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, its walls. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. He measured the city with reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it's either a cube, the city is either a cube or it could be a pyramid, 
and the 12,000 furlongs, somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. So something from Denver to New York City is about that distance. So it gives you the size of that city. And let's read on and see some more descriptions of it. It has a wall, not to keep people in or out, just for beauty. It's over 200 feet high. And uh, the construction of the wall, verse 18, was of jasper. The city was pure gold, not just the streets, like clear glass. The streets, of course, are paved with gold. But it says the city was pure gold. Then it lists the foundations, all various precious stones. The Twelve gates were 12 pearls, verse 21. Each gate was of one pearl. Man. <laughs> Someone says, well, that had to be some oyster. But... God made it, obviously. And can you imagine now? Just use your sanctified imagination for a moment here. You've got, who's the, who's the light? Where's the light of the sea? What's God? The brilliance beyond the sun. What does light do to, to emeralds and jewels and diamonds? That's those, those foundations. and The white walls. And the, the light is going to refract off of those lights and it's going to cause all kinds of various colors all over the walls and the, and the pure gold folks our minds can't begin to comprehend the beauty of our new home that's where you're going to live if you're a born again believer we're going to live forever there Woo. man that's awesome a new home but think about this in Philippians chapter 3, it says you're going to have a new body. All of us my age say praise the Lord. <laughs> Look at Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Who will transform our lowly body, this body that's messed up, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So we're going to have a body like his body, his glorified body. 1 John 3, 2 says something very similar. It says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What was the Lord's new body like? So what kind of a body are you going to have? It's got to be changed. It can't, you've got to be suited for space travel and going to heaven. Uh, there's a a few details I want to give you about that new body. First of all, the good news, it'll be a body that can eat. <laughs> Jesus, remember when his resurrected body appeared to the disciples and they thought they were seeing a ghost in Luke 24? He says, bring me a piece of fish and honeycomb. He also said, handle me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood, or flesh and bone, excuse me, as you see me have. So it was a body that could be touched, it was a body that could eat, but it was different. How was it different? It did not have blood in it. He distinctly said, a ghost doesn't have a body of flesh and bone. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 50, says, flesh and blood cannot go up to heaven. So, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. So the new body will not have blood in it. So what will be the source of life in the new body? 
1 Corinthians 15 gives us a clue to that. And uh, it says there that it's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 44. So this new body, the life force, will be the spirit. That Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us, the Spirit of Christ, is going to be in each of us as it is now, but that will be the source of our new life. And another interesting detail is that, you remember when the disciples were huddled together in the upper room trying to figure out what was going on after the resurrection? And Jesus appeared to them in the midst? He does that a week later, because Thomas wasn't with him the first time. But there's a detail in there that you might miss if you're not careful. It says, the doors being shut. Jesus doesn't go through the door. He just goes right through the wall. And he's there. That's why they thought he was a ghost. And he does it the same thing. The next week later, when John Thomas is there, he, it says the same thing. The door is being shut. It makes a specific point of that. Why is that significant? It's cool. Because in the new body, we're not subject to the natural laws that we are today. Why is that important? Because, folks, if the rapture should happen Today, right now, where we're in this building, we won't make a bunch of holes or hurt our heads. We're going right through that stuff because we'll have a body like his. That's why that detail's in the scripture. Isn't that cool that Jesus would tell us about that? I think that's, that's amazing. One other detail about this reunion that's so special, it'll never end. It'll never end. First Thessalonians 4.17 says, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I love to visit my dad who lived up in the UP with my brother. He lived to be almost 102. And so I would visit him. My brother was the director at Gitche Bible Camp up there for many, many years. And uh, I always look forward to seeing dad. My brother had me up there to speak on many occasions. And um, so, but then there had to come a time when I have to say goodbye to Dad. And every time I had to say goodbye, it was, it was rough because I didn't know if I'd ever see Dad again. Guess what? In heaven, there are no goodbyes. You never have to say goodbye. It'll be a see you later, but there'll be no goodbyes. Heaven is forever. What are we going to do with Jesus? I mean, have you ever thought about, let your mind race a little bit? We're going to be, maybe we'll go to Sunday school with Jesus. He's our teacher. Can you imagine that? Maybe we'll have movie night with Jesus. And I, I kind of, I know this is crazy, but I think that way. What about, Lord, show us when they cross the Red Sea, and he'll, he'll just turn on the big screen, and we'll see the children of Israel actually crossing. You know, the water's going back. Or maybe Daniel in the lion's den or also David defeating Goliath. Whoa. Maybe we'll go visit the stars. Heaven's going to be special. 
it'll be very, very special. Let's look at a, a second question. When will it happen? Now, I know, don't get too excited. I'm not going to set a date. That's not wise. Some people have tried to do that. The Jehovah's Witnesses, Ellen G. White, their beginnings of their cults um, set dates. A California preacher by the name of Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would occur May 21st, 2011. Then he changed his date to October 21st. Prior to that, he said it would happen in 1994. Then he had to admit he was wrong. <laughs> Only God knows, Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In Acts 1, 6, the disciple says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We don't know when it will be, but we do know it will be sudden and unexpectedly. Uh, it's going to be like a thief in the night, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, unexpectedly. It'll be in the moment, a twinkling of an eye, which we mean very quickly, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says. Uh, so it won't be like we're going to be going up gradually. It'll be when we're up, and the next thing you see is Jesus. You're seeing me? <laughs> Don't get too attached. <laughs> You're going to see Jesus next. Isn't that cool? Uh, it'll be very sudden. God doesn't give us signs of the rapture, but he does give us some signs pointing to his kingdom. And I believe that the rapture occurs seven years prior to that. And so I think we can get an idea that we're living in the last days. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 38. I'm just going to point out a couple of things that to me are very exciting, that I believe clearly points to the fact that we are in the last days. In Ezekiel chapter 38, God is telling Ezekiel about some countries that are going to get together to go down and attack Israel. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, the Tubal, the prophecy against him. Now we don't have time to go and explain why I'm saying this, but that's Russia. There's some very good reasons. I don't know of any Bible scholars that don't say that that's the land of Russia. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, your horses, your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers, shields, all of them handling swords. Now, what companies are coming with Russia? Look at this, Persia. That's basically, that's the old name for Iran. Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togomer. That's Turkey. Now, up until a few years ago, Turkey was one of our allies. Now it's moved away from us and is aligning with Russia. From the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself, be ready you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. Now notice this, in the latter years, that's the code word for the last days, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Has Israel been brought back to its land? Yes. Are these nations allied to today? Yes. God in chapter 39 tells what he's going to do 
to those people that come attack Israel. And I don't have time to go through this, but notice and circle the word, uh, the pronoun I, referring to God in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and so forth. Basically, it's going to be all about God. They're going to think that they're going to do something. God says, you got it wrong. I'm bringing you down here so I can destroy you. God is in charge. He's in control. And uh, no one will have the power to stop them. In chapter 38, verse 13, Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions. These are, this is probably Saudi Arabia, and Tarshish could be uh, the land of Ken, which is Great Britain. They're going to basically say, you shouldn't do that, but they're not going to stop them. They're going to uh, verbally attack them but do nothing about it. But God is going to stop them as you read through there. He's going to destroy them. And then we read in verse, chapter 39, verse 9, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the bucklers, the bows, arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. I think this happens at the very beginning of the tribulation period. Others may differ with that, but that's my, my thought on that. So, are these nations allied today? Yes. Could they attack Israel? Do they hate Israel? Yes. Another sign that I think is pointing to the fact that we're living in the last days, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, and verses 28 through 30, he gave us, gives us another clue. And he says, um, likewise as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. On the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Is revealed. So, what was the days of Lot like? What was the days of Lot known for? Sodomy, homosexuality. And we go back and we look at that, that, that time period and what kind of... Uh, Activity was going on there. It was like the whole city was given over to it, if you read the words carefully. And they were also very uh, militant. Do we have that going on today? I think you have to know, yes, we do. The last days will be days of homosexuality. And then during the tribulation, if you go to the book of Revelation, and you're, you know this, a world ruler will be able to control the world economy by means of a mark. It's called 666. We just came through a terrible time in 2020 when it seems like everything shut down. Is it possible for a world ruler to come to power that would control the entire economy of the world? You realize there is already a world bank. In fact, that's the battle going on in our country right now, if you read beneath the lines, and that is there are those that are one world type people versus people who are in favor of our country. And that's going on right now. Can the economy be controlled? I think uh, without going into too much detail, the, the computer chip has advanced so much that no one could buy or sell without the mark most of us already are using plastic. So putting plastic in someone's hand would be a, a small step, in essence. And they would use all kinds of reasoning for that. 
Then during the tribulation, this is something you might not think about during chapter 11. There's two witnesses that I believe be Moses and Elijah are going to come down and through them, the 144,000 are going to be one to Christ, the Jewish people, which that last week of Daniel's prophecy, they turn to Christ. And the reason is because God uses two very powerful witnesses that the Antichrist, this world ruler, is going to kill them. And uh, then he's going to display their dead bodies and, uh, before they're, they're resurrected and take back, taken back to heaven. Revelation chapter 11, this is the detail I want you to see. And those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. It's talking about all the people of the world are going to be able to see dead bodies in Israel. They're going to see that. That's to show off the power of the Antichrist. But what that tells me is that there's some kind of technology that lets everybody, no matter what time frame they're in, around the world, to be able to see dead bodies in Israel. You realize with satellite television, that's a piece of cake today? That wasn't true a few years ago. What am I saying? I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but folks, the time is set up perfectly for that to happen any time. You and I are living in that era. To me, that's, that's awesome. That leads to a very important third question. Who can attend this heavenly reunion? I'm going to give you the bad news, and I'm going to give you some good news. The bad news is this. If you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you won't make it. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is it a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot get to heaven by, by being a good person, because you can't be good enough. Heaven's a place of perfection. There's too many sins on your record. You can't make it if you're trusting you. Another verse very similar, Titus 3.5, says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And secondly, if you're trusting your church activity or your religious service to get you to heaven, you're not going to make it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Think about that. Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders, miracles in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you're trusting your church membership. You're a deacon. You're a Sunday school teacher. And those are all good things. My friends, that will not get you into heaven. I'm going to say, some of you are saying, well, that's, that's not me. Well, let me give you this one. Those who tell lies cannot get into heaven. Revelation 21 and verse 8 gives a list of those not going to heaven, and it says, and all liars. How many here have never told a lie? If I saw a hand go up, I'd say, well, there's the biggest one. What's that mean? None of us deserve to go to heaven. 
Now I'm going to give you the good news. God, in his mercy, provided a way where we could get there. You see, God knew we were messed up. None of us deserved to go to heaven. So in his grace, he sent his own son down to this earth. God, the creator of the universe, became a baby, a human being. Grew up never sinning. The perfect man, the second Adam. So that he, when he went to the cross, the Father could take your sin and yours and yours and yours and mine and lay it all upon the, the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross and then pour out all the hell, the hot lava of the wrath of God on his own son and he drank it all. That full cup of the wrath of God, he drank it all to pay the full penalty for our sin. And then he says this, I'm going to give to you salvation. I'm going to give you the privilege of going to heaven. It's not by what you earn or work for or being good enough. We don't deserve it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Getting this gift is tied to a relationship 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has this life, eternal life. He that doesn't have the Son does not have eternal life. So the question is, do you have Jesus living in you? So, well, how do I get Jesus living in me? Well, by faith, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? The devil believes that too, you know. He's not going to heaven. It's not just having head faith, believing with your head. It's receiving Jesus committing your heart to him. The difference between head faith and heart faith is sort of like this chair. It's, it, I can, that's a great chair, great stool. I believe that'll hold me up. This is heart faith. You see? It's committing your soul to the care of Jesus and putting your complete trust in him. Oh, my friends, he wants you to be there with him. Have you ever committed your heart to Jesus and put your trust in him? There's an old story, maybe you've heard it before, about a great tightrope walker by the name of Blondin. He uh, was walking tightropes, I think, around the turn between the 1800s and 1900s. He advertised that he was going to walk across a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. They stretched the, the day came, they stretched the tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And sure enough, the crowds, both sides, American and Canadian sides, were really a huge crowd. London showed up. As far as I'm concerned, the guy's out of his ever loving mind. But he walks across the tightrope. 
all the way across the Niagara Falls successfully. He gets down and the crowd's going crazy. And then he makes this crazy statement. He says, how many here believe I can wheel a wheelbarrow back across the other way? They all, of course, went crazy. Yeah, we believe you can do it, Blondin. He, turned, he says, go get me a wheelbarrow. And they get him a wheelbarrow. He puts it up on the wire. He turns this one young guy in the front, little child, maybe 10, 11, 12. He says, young man, do you believe I can wheel this wheelbarrow back across the other way? Yes, Mr. Blondin, I believe you can do it. He says, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. You see the difference between head faith and heart faith? Heart faith is putting everything you have in that basket. Putting your eternal destiny into the care of one Jesus who you believe died for you and completely trusting in him. The moment you do that, you become a child of God and heaven's your new home.